This morning we're looking at mercy. And it is, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10. So if you'll open your Bible to Luke 10, verses 25. This is a picture of mercy as Jesus describes it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him, and they beat him, and they departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Let us pray. Lord God, we come to you this morning in need of your help. We need you to illuminate the scripture to our minds and to our hearts. We need your help, Lord God, that we might be merciful. We need your help, O Lord, that we would see Christ and his great mercy for us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you notice from the two scriptures passages that we read this morning, there's two major components to mercy. One is what we just read. It's this giving aid to those who are suffering. It's giving aid to those who are needy. But another part of mercy is forgiving the sins of those who sin against us. It's loving, in a sense, those who hate us. So this is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at these two parts of mercy. One is giving aid to those who are in need. And the other is forgiving those who sin against us. And then finally we will look at the mercy of Christ himself. Earlier this week I was working on this message and I was at a coffee shop. And at this coffee shop they happened to sell donuts. And I normally don't like to buy donuts, but I was going to splurge and get a donut this time when I went to the coffee shop to work on this message. 
And they put my donut on the counter after I had bought it. And it was this chocolate donut with Oreo crumbles on it. And there was this little 8 to 10 year old boy who was there by the counter. And he was looking at my donut. And he looked like he needed my donut. He, he, themed, he seemed to think he needed my donut a lot. So there I could have been merciful and said, here, you can have my donut. But all I thought was, that's my donut. Don't you touch it. I was not very merciful there in that sense of giving uh, help to this guy who wanted my donut. And then something crazy happened. What I thought was pretty crazy was he looked at my donut, and then all of a sudden this kid, he puts his hand out, and he starts to grab my donut. And I said, no, that is my donut. So he took his hands back, he turned around, looked away and then he looked back and he came back and he grabbed the donut again (laughs) and I was very merciful upon him at this moment when I did not tackle him to the ground (laughs) you see there's even there we see the two types of mercy one is giving aid to somebody who is in need and the other is when somebody sins against you forgiving them and not wishing ill will of them The first part of mercy is giving aid to those who are in need, those who are suffering. This is, uh, um, in the Old Testament, or in the old ancient world, there was the Greeks and the Romans who understood mercy in a particular way. And one of the ways that they primarily saw mercy was that it was this emotion or this feeling that is aroused when we see somebody who's hurting. So it's this feeling, this pathos, this this, uh, this sympathy, this empathy that you have towards somebody. And that was the way they primarily thought of mercy when they used this term, mercy. I remember last week I was at uh, Lowe's and there was this homeless man on the corner who was sitting in a wheelchair and he had his legs had open sores all over them. And he was trying to bind up his wounds with tape. And he looked like he was in so much pain. Now my, and I felt really this sense of his suffering. I, I felt in a way that pain. But, but that is not itself mercy. When you see somebody who is, in, who is suffering to just feel sympathy, this is not mercy, particularly as we see it as Christians. And this is important because there are so many things in, in the world, that, in, the, in media, that are calling our attention, that evoke our sense of sympathy and even of empathy. There are so many things that could, could cause us, our hearts to bleed. And yet we have not a capacity to do anything about it. And so we might think that that itself is mercy. But just the feeling itself is not mercy. See, mercy in the Bible is, it is, yes, it is that feeling when somebody hurts. But more than that, it is the action as well to come to the aid of somebody who is in need and someone who is suffering. And this is important because it goes back to the character of God in Scripture. Some people will say that in the Old Testament, the the Old Testament, we see a God of judgment. 
But actually, in the Old Testament, God is describing Himself oftentimes as a God of mercy. The way He reveals His name to Moses, the way He primarily reveals His name in Exodus 34, when He talks to Moses, He says, this is who I am. He says, the Lord, the Lord, I am a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, but who by no means will clear the guilty. And then this is the refrain throughout the Old Testament that God is merciful and gracious, that He is steadfast in His love and faithfulness. He is merciful. And this means that we ought to respond in concrete action of mercy. Exodus 22, right beforehand, says this about God, about us, our response, and our responsibility. He says, look, if you ever take your neighbor's cloak in a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for it is his only covering, and it is cloak for his body. In what else does he sleep? And if he cries to me, you don't give it back to him. And if he cries to me at night... I will hear, for I am compassionate. That is the same word, mercy, here. See, because God is compassionate, He says, you must act in concrete ways to aid those who are needy. This is for us why, as Christians, mercy is concrete action coming to the aid of those who are in need. And this is exactly what we see Jesus talking about here in the story of the Good Samaritan that we just read in chapter in Luke. A man is attacked and he's left half dead. It's an interesting word. He's left half dead. He is at the point of death. He is in dire need. The robbers have hurt him badly. And a priest and a Levite, they come by. And what does it say about the priest and the Levite? They saw the man over there, but they passed by on the other side. We don't know what they felt. Maybe they felt sad for the man. Maybe they felt bad that this was his situation, but they did nothing about it. And they were the ones who knew what God required. They were perhaps afraid of being beaten up themselves. And then the Samaritan man. He sees the man who is half dead on the side of the road. And we see what it says he does. It says he came up to him. He came up to him. He saw that he was half dead. And at great risk to himself, because the robbers could still be there, at great risk to himself, he takes the man... And he puts him up. He binds up his wounds. He takes him to an inn. And it costs him money. It costs him time. It costs him his energy. And it costs him his safety. And Jesus asked them afterwards, now which one of these was merciful? Which one loved their neighbor? And the answer is obvious because this is what Jesus does all the time. He He asks rhetorical questions with the obvious answer. Who's the merciful one? It was the one who came to the need of this man who was hurting. You see, mercy is the action of coming to the aid of those who are needy, even when it is difficult, even when it may be costly. And there is no sense of personal advancement that we get from it. 
So we see here that this picture of mercy, it is, a, it is difficult. And yet at the same time, when, when people see this kind of mercy in Christians, when they see mercy that is willing to come to the aid of those who are needy, that, co- that, that is costly, it's attractive. And it's a powerful argument for our faith when people in the world see our mercy like that. There was an emperor in the 300s, Emperor Julian, who wrote a letter to a Roman pagan priest in 362. His name was Emperor Julian, and he wrote this letter to Arsacius, who was a, a, a pagan priest. And he noticed that this, this emperor was noticing that the paganism was declining in certain parts of the Roman Empire. And what was happening was that Christianity was growing and people were coming to faith in Christ. And he basically says that what he recognized that the reason that people were coming to Christ was the mercy of the Christians. A non-Christian pagan emperor noticed the mercy of Christians. And this is what he says about the Christians. Why do we not observe that it is the Christians' benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and their holiness of their lives that has done so much to increase atheism, which atheism just means Christianity back then. All these things have increased atheism. For it is disgraceful that that when no Jew has to beg, and none of the Galileans, which were Christians, that they support not only their own poor, but ours as well, all men see that they do not lack aid. He says, look, the Galileans, the Christians, they support not only their own poor, not only the Christian poor, but they even support our poor, the the pagans. They support them as well. And he says, you guys need to go do the same thing. Because he recognized this. Think about it. Christianity grew because of its mercy. That Christians, when there were plagues, they stayed behind when there were plagues in cities and everybody else ran, Christians would stay and take care of those who were sick and were dying. When children would be cast off into the gutter, especially little girls, they would take them and raise them as their own and they would meet the needs of those who were poor. And this became a powerful argument for the Christian faith. Mercy like this, like Christ. They see our mercy and they will see Christ and therefore it becomes an attractive, powerful argument for our Christian faith because when they see us being merciful, they see a picture of Christ's mercy. And so we see that mercy here is in one sense giving concrete aid to those who are needy. But mercy we also see is not only that, it's also forgiving people who sin against us. We see that it's also forgiving people who sin against us. And this is what the Matthew, Matthew 18, the passage that was read earlier, was talking about. When we think about forgiveness, we need to understand the nature of our forgiveness. The nature of forgiveness. And when we forgive other people... This is, in a sense, based upon the second commandment. To love your neighbor as yourself. 
Or as uh, people say, it is, or as Jesus even says, it even more specifically, forgiveness would be loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. Because when people sin against us, they are acting oftentimes as our enemies. But to forgive them is to love our enemies and to pray for them. People have described it, forgiving other people, as a commitment not to hate people who sin against us. It is a commitment to desire their ultimate well-being. This is the way John Calvin talked about it, and C.S. Lewis and other theologians have, have talked about this as the nature of forgiveness. Forgiveness is desiring the ultimate good of the sinner. It will even loathe what they do at times because forgiveness wants their ultimate good just as we desire our own good. It is an unfailing commitment to not hate those who sin against us. This is what it means to forgive those who hurt us, who sin against us. And this is a picture of what mercy is. We oftentimes get confused about forgiveness. I think about when my daughter disobeys or when she hits my son and he usually laughs at this stage because he still thinks it's funny when, when he gets hit by her. But she, she will disobey and she comes and she asks for forgiveness to me or to my, my son. And when she does it, you know what kids do. They put the little pucker face and their little lip goes out. And when they say they're sorry, they say they're, they're, they ask for forgiveness. What do you want to say? Oftentimes we want to say, it's okay. But that is not forgiveness, to say it is okay. Because we're saying it is not actually okay. What you did is not okay. It's not okay to disobey like that. It is not okay to hit your brother because one day soon he will be bigger than you and he will squish you. <laughs> So it is not okay because we want what is ultimately good for you. So we can never say it's okay, but we can say, I forgive you, I still love you, and I am committed to your ultimate well-being. This is what we're saying when we forgive people. And it's for this reason that you can see uh, people like... Uh, Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston forgive Dylan Roof when he came into their church and shot many of the worshipers. That he could still, they could still forgive him. They're not saying that what he did was okay, but they're saying that we ultimately want your spiritual well-being and so we choose to love you. It's the same way people who are abused by others, they say, it is not okay what you have done. But I refuse to hate you and I want your ultimate spiritual well-being. Or when people have been hurt by genocides and all these other things, it's to say that same thing. It's wanting people's ultimate spiritual well-being. This is to forgive them. And so we see that those who are merciful, merciful Christians... That we forgive people who sin against us, wanting their ultimate spiritual well-being. And one of the questions that I have when we come to this, when we look at uh, 
this beatitude. And we look at it, it says, The merciful shall receive mercy. Similar when Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, He says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. And the question that we have is, are we saying that mercy is the reason or the basis of our salvation? Are we saying that in order to be saved, you have to be merciful? That you need to go around and forgiving people and that if you do that, then God will say, I forgive you of your sins and you will be saved. Is mercy the good work that God requires of us to receive salvation? Now we know that is not what God is saying. That is not what Jesus is saying because we have the whole testimony of Scripture that interprets Scripture. And so we have Scripture passage like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 which are very clear about salvation that says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not of works so that no one can boast. This means that not even mercy, mercy is not a work that we can do that can save us. Because if you think about it, there could be, we could never be zealous enough for mercy. We could never be passionate enough to, to bring aid to people, to cover our sins. It could never be enough. Because our sin against God is of an infinite debt. As the, the hymn Rock of Ages says, Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal, even for mercy, no respite, no. Could my tears forever flow, all for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. You see, when it says, my zeal, no respite, no. If I was unending in my passion for mercy... That would not be enough to forgive our sins. Jesus himself has to do that. And so what is he saying here? What is this passage talking about in Matthew 18 in the Beatitude of Mercy? And I think it's along this lines that this is that when we forgive others, it is a testimony that our sins have been forgiven by Christ. When we forgive others, it is, a, it is a testimony saying that we have received this forgiveness and we find in ourselves a desire to be merciful. It's about this assurance. It is about this fruit of our salvation. The fruit of our forgiveness is that we want to forgive other people as well. And if you state it in the opposite, in the negative, it's that if we never forgive anybody... If we are never merciful, the question we have to ask is, have we understood the mercy of God for us in Christ? And this is the point of this passage. You see it in Matthew 18. There's three scenes here that are occurring in Matthew 18. The first scene is about a man and a king. And the king is, has this servant who is underneath him. And this servant owes a massive debt. It says that he owns, owes 10,000 talents to this king. One talent, one talent was about 20 years of labor. One talent. 
equivalented to one to 20 years of labor, or it was about 70 pounds of gold, about as much as gold that you could carry on your back. 75 pounds of gold. So if you transferred it to today, that would be 10,000 talents would be 200,000 years of hard labor, or 9.6 billion dollars. That's his debt. The point is, his debt against this king is incredibly deep. It is impossible that he could ever pay it. How long, how, in your life, can you pay 200, can you spend 200,000 years to pay off your life of debt? No. It's impossible. That's the point. It depends completely on the mercy of that king. And here's what he is saying, is that our sin is this infinite debt that is completely unpayable. We can never pay it off, pay it back. And so we depend completely on the pity, on the mercy of God. In Christ, whose riches paid our debt at the very cost of his life. It was so costly, our forgiveness. And then there's the second scene. This man who, who apparently has received this forgiveness. He goes to his fellow servant and in verse 29, the man says, I'll pay you back. And all he owes him is about a hundred days labor. And instead he refuses pity. He grabs him by the neck and he says, pay back what you owe right now. And he shows no pity on him. And he throws him in the prison. He refused pity. And here's the thing. The most of our sins against anybody else is just like this. It's such a smaller debt than our debt before God. And the point is, if we had understood, if we understand how deep the mercy of God is for us, the infinite weight of the debt that we owe God is forgiven in Christ, then we would forgive and be merciful to those whose debt against us is so much smaller. This is what it's supposed to happen in our life. That if we, we would be moved in heart to forgive people if we know the debt that we owed and was forgiven. And so we see that fruit, that forgiveness and mercy, it is a fruit that we show in keeping with the repentance that we have. It is a fruit of repentance. And so Jesus says, you know, here that if he finds that, if he does not find that fruit, that he will uproot the tree. And so we see that these two forms of mercy, they can seem impossibly difficult for us in many ways. But this is the requirement of it. This is a picture of what Christians are supposed to live like. We forgive the sins of those against us, wishing good of them, hoping for their spiritual well-being, eagerly forgiving them. But I don't know about you, but for me, I find this so difficult to do, to give aid to people who are in need. I find myself to get weary, and I find myself to become harsh easily with people who are in need. I, in college, I had a friend who was an international student, 
And when he was an international student, his father died. He was killed, actually. And money became very tight for him. And he went through this long stage of grief. He needed resources. He needed money. He needed encouragement. He came and lived with me, and he became to live almost as if he was a small child. Completely dependent upon me. And I tell you what, there was one time when he needed a ride from one place to another, and I was sick of it, of being merciful to him, and I yelled at him, and I blew up, because mercy... It is wearisome and it is easy to become harsh to those because it costs us our time, our money, our energy. Or I can think of times when people have sinned against me and have hurt me and I can think of one person that brought me much emotional stress. And sometimes I wonder if I would be more satisfied to hear them fail at life than to want their ultimate spiritual well-being. And so we see that this is the portrait of the mercy is the portrait of a Christian. But then I myself and, and we, as we look at it, what we see is we see a mirror that doesn't look like it oftentimes. And we see blemishes and we see un, an unmerciful person so often. And this is why we must be reminded to look at the mercy of Christ. About Christ's mercy. Because we know that it is Christ's mercy. It is Christ's mercy that will empower our own mercy to other people. Romans 12.1 says this. It says, I appeal to you by the many mercies of God to present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. He says, in view of the many mercies of God, this is how you live your life as a, as a spiritual sacrifice. This is how you do the sacrifice of being merciful. It is by the many mercies of God. It is the mercy of Christ. But as we keep that in view, that that empowers our continued mercy in life. And so consider Christ's mercy, His willingness to help you, His willingness to help us. In Hebrews 2, 16-18, consider Christ's mercy, that He is willing to help. Two, Hebrews 2 says this, there's a slide for it, I believe. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, that is, the children of God by faith. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in flesh. He, he had to be made like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." You see, Christ is willing to help us because He has been merciful to us in the past. He has shown us His mercy. 
It says right here that He made propitiation for our sins. That means this a propitiation, it's a big word, that's a big word with a big big theology behind it. Propitiation, it means that He covered, Jesus covered our sins when He died upon the cross. That He washed away all of our sins. He blotted them out and so we do not face the wrath of God. We who put our trust in Christ. That He takes those away. He blots them away. He sees them not. And so the portrait that we see of an unmerciful person when we sin, He blotted that out. And he sees of us in Christ that the very portrait of Christ himself. And he sees that you are a merciful person in Christ because he sees Christ. He has been merciful to us in the past. And he is merciful to us now. He is merciful to us now. It says he became a merciful high priest. And he is still that merciful high priest right now because he is alive. And he says he's he's merciful because look, he suffered when he was tempted. And now he is able to help us. Sometimes we say, uh, millennials will say, the struggle is real about something. The struggle is real. Jesus knows that the struggle is real. You see, Jesus went through the struggle of temptation. And He knows temptation more than you and I will ever know because He went to the end of it and He did not give in to temptation. So He understands our temptation more than we even understand it. Because when He was on the cross, He was tempted to not be merciful. He was tempted to come off of it, but He did not. And because He understands our temptation, He is able to be sympathetic to us. And He is able right now to help us. You see, Jesus understands our temptation more than we do. And because of this, He is willing to help us. He is willing to come to our aid right now when we find ourselves not being merciful, when we find ourselves hating people. He is our willing advocate. This is what it means. That He advocates for us. He comes to our aid. Not our works. Not saints. Christ Himself is the one who is right now merciful for us. And He is alive. And He will personally bring us aid because He has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us. Think about the power of a willing advocate, somebody who is merciful for you. Last week I was preaching at Christ the King. And after I preach, I get really hungry. And we later went home and we were eating a salad. I don't know why we were eating a salad, but we ate a salad because it's not enough food in a salad. (laughs) And my daughter and I are supposed to share this salad. And what happened was I ate almost the entire salad. And at the end, my, my daughter said, where's my salad? And right then and there, Matheson, my wife, came quick to the aid of my daughter and castigated me 
of the quickness and the speed at which she advocated for her own daughter against me. Her mercy, her willingness to come to the aid of one she loved. You see, that is the picture of Christ's mercy. That when we are, when our sin is taking everything from us, when we are struggling, Christ quickly comes to our aid faster than a mama bear. Because He is our great advocate. And when we see that kind of aid of somebody who comes to us like that, we will start to have our hearts changed and want to quickly come to the aid of those who are in need. And so let us pray. Lord, we need for you to make us merciful people. And so, Lord, help us to see the price that it costs for you to be merciful to us. That you died upon the cross for our sins. And that you are raised now and that you intercede for us. That you are our merciful advocate. And so, Lord, there is nothing that we could do, no zeal in our hands for mercy that could save us. You alone must save us. And that, Lord, knowledge of that must help us, enable us to be more merciful. So, Lord God, we come to you, you who are the rock of ages, you who are our Savior, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.